most of the men I work with, they leave like this wake of destruction, this wake of brokenness because they don't have a solid, good definition. You can't become what you can't define. Everyone today is looking for a quick fix, how to get rich quick, how to be successful quick, um, how to become a man quickly. That's not how manhood works at all. Becoming a man is like wind carving a stone. It's a long, gradual, sometimes arduous process. It is a uphill climb. The problem is that most men are bringing a downhill effort, which is why they're not getting the results that they should be. This is The Hard Path with me, Chris Harper. People need to hear this story. This is a this is an exciting story for people because there's a lot of people out there that feel trapped and they feel stuck and they can't do anything. This is who they are. And you're a guy who felt that exact same way, but figured out how to not be that person and be a person that you would admire. I uh, just got somebody pregnant. My life was just I was making thousand dollars a month. My rent was eight ten a month, and my mind just kept with me. And kept, you're not good enough, man. This isn't for you, man. These guys are the best motherfuckers on the planet Earth. You're not that. And um, what it was, and it's kind of funny, I was obsessed with Rocky. Rocky one, in particular. And when I was a kid, I'd come home every day, and i watched this show, Rocky. And I would fast forward with the little VHS tapes to round 14. Round 14 me up like nobody's business. Why? This song came on. When I, so when I bought the pull-up record, I listened to the song for 17 hours. It's two minutes and 13 seconds. When Apollo Creed beat the f***ing shit out of Rocky, beat the shit out of him, he kept fighting. He was a dumb fighter. Couldn't read, couldn't, f that was me. Couldn't read, couldn't write. Just punchy, everything about him. And Rocky beat the, sh or Apollo beat the shit out of him. He was in that corner and everybody was saying, stay the f*** down. And him getting up, him getting up, Apollo Creed raised his arms up in the air, turned around, thought he won the fight. He turns around and sees this guy getting up, and it was the face of Apollo Creed that changed my life. The face of Apollo Creed. It was like, just by that mother getting up, not winning, just by him getting the up, Apollo Creed was, he was champ, he's the best. Rocky had taken his soul, had literally taken his soul. His, his head goes down, he looks at him like, Who, what the are you? I want it to be that, not Rocky. I want to be the guy that people looked at. I don't care if you liked me or didn't like, I don't, I don't care. But it said, this motherfucker is gonna keep coming after whatever the f is in front of him. I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted that worse than anything in the world. So that is, I kept picturing me falling down and getting up and every motherfucker that called me, I was dumb, even myself, even myself. I wanted to feel something besides defeat. I wanted to just go to distance. And that going to distance pushed me to a point of where now I go way past the distance. When I listen to that and I hear that, um, there appears to be a lot of good on the surface. You know, ambition, passion, initiative. And on the surface, those things can be very helpful and very good. But the thing that I hear that resonates with everything he just said is I and me. It is infinitely selfish. What must I do? What can I achieve? What links do I have to go? And, and the danger in, a, in an overly ambitious person, the danger in a, uh, an overly passionate man is that, is that they run, run hard, but they run alone, right? That's that old proverb, right? We go faster alone, but we go farther together, right? So, so the reality is... Um, Goggins, and I love the guy. I mean, I want the best for him, but I wonder how far he can actually go alone before he self-destructs. Because the reality 
is that is that three hundred that three hundred pound fat navy kid is still in there, and like he needs people to process that with. Um, um, he needs um, he needs community, right? And and right now he's a one man show. I mean, he's a one man seal. It, it it it's interesting. Everybody talks about a navy seal. Um, how they want to be like a Navy SEAL. They want the courage and the strength and the speed of a Navy SEAL. But if you actually sit down with a Navy SEAL, the Navy SEAL will tell you that he's nothing without his team. That it's actually the team that makes him a Navy SEAL, which, by the way, is why it's called Navy SEALs, plural, not Navy SEAL. Uh, it's the team that makes the Navy SEAL. That it's, that it's one body with many parts, someone functioning as the arm and someone functioning as the leg and someone functioning as the head. And, and what scares me about the Goggins of the world and, and, and some of these other guys out there today is, is they, they promote this idea of self that ultimately breeds selfishness and loneliness, which is a problem. You know, the Surgeon General, it's interesting, the Surgeon General just announced a few weeks ago that the number one killer of men isn't heart disease. It's not being overweight. It's not cancer. The number one killer of men is loneliness. Men are dying because they're alone. And, and when I listen to Goggins and some of these guys, I, I wonder if they're unconsciously promoting um, um, this idea that uh, if you want to achieve anything, you have to do it and you have to go at it alone. Um, which can be detrimental. Everywhere I look, um, I'm seeing men in need of companionship. I'm seeing men in need of friendship. As a matter of fact, the two most Googled uh, terms, phrases, sentences for men, uh, number one is how do I stop watching porn? Because uh, that seems to be a predominant problem amongst men. But number two is how do I make friends? So, so, so the two battles that men are facing today, um, porn and friends, right? And, and men are just, they're dying for companionship. They're dying for, for friendship. And, and what we've had, um, a byproduct of technology, um, technology has made, it's given us the illusion of friendship without the hard work of friendship. Because here's the reality. Um, making friends, keeping friends, being a friend is hard work. Uh, and again, it's an uphill battle, and most people are bringing a downhill effort. Uh, uh, they think just because they have followers or, on Twitter or followers on Facebook, or um, maybe they're a super type A, flamboyant, positive guy that walks into the room, you walk into the bar and everybody knows your name and they have all these quote unquote friends. Most of it is just superficial. Most of it is shallow. Men are, men are looking for companionship um, uh, uh, outside of their wives, outside of their spouses, um, um, outside of colleagues. Um, they're, they're, they're needing true friendship. And um, that's because it's designed that way. You know, no man is an island. We weren't designed to go about this alone. Um, you know, we're all created in the image of God. Um, you know, you know, I'm not sure of, of, of everyone's religious beliefs here, but but the reality is we're we're creatures, we have a creator, and and we're created in his image. And and this God is a triune God. I tell people all the time that that God is the OG of small groups. He's the original gangster, right? He, he's always existed in community. God himself is community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, right? And being created in that image, we were created for community, which means if I'm not living in community, if I'm not living in close-knit relationships with other men, I cannot. It's not that I'm, I'm not becoming the man I'm supposed to be. It's that I can't be the man that I'm supposed to be. Iron truly does sharpen iron. And when I'm living in isolation, when I'm, when I'm living this kind of stoic, Spartan, David Goggins life, um, I'm not growing. I may physically be getting stronger. I may be increasing my mental aptitude because I can read two books a day. 
Um, um, I may be, I may be becoming more financially successful because I spend 16 hours a day watching the crypto market, you know, whatever it is, um, those things I may be growing in, but as a human, as a person, as a man, it's impossible to grow outside of relation with others. Yeah. So, so culture in a lot of ways, um, doesn't just feed isolation, but it, but it breeds isolation because, because companionship and because friendship is such hard work. Um, culture offers these these shortcuts, and and as men, there's nothing more that than than we love than a good shortcut. We love shortcuts. We love taking shortcuts to something that, that that's ultimately been promised to us. And what what we discover is long along the way is the shortcut makes the end less than. Uh, we don't get the full inheritance. Um, uh, uh, that's what shortcuts do. So, so culture comes along and says, hey, um, I've got a lot of shortcuts to friendships, right? So virtual friendships, um, you know, these, these things called third spaces. So, so every man has, has three spaces in his life. Um, the first space is his home. It's the home he keeps. The second space is his work, where he goes to work. And even today, a lot of that has been, has been merged for a lot of men today, that first space and the second space are the same. They actually work from home, which which actually causes more confusion than, than than we know right now. But you have that first space, the home. The second space is work. And then the third space is where men went to seek relationships and friendships. Um, and throughout history, you've seen the prominence of third spaces, whether it was, you know, 50 years ago, it was the racquetball club in the YMCA. Um, golf clubs and country clubs. You know, there are some unhealthy third spaces like bars. You know, I think of the old television show Cheers when Norm would walk in and everybody would say Norm and it was the place that everyone knew his name. So so you had these third places where you went um, that were social places where you went to make friends. Well, today those third places aren't even physical places. I mean, it's a virtual world. For today, many people's third place um, is some sort of virtual reality where, where they're quote-unquote making friends, but they honestly do not know who these people are. You have no idea who the person is behind the screen, behind the mask, behind the video game. Um, uh, and because there's, there's that, that disconnect, there will always be a level of shallowness. So you go to that third place. It's a virtual place. Um, you, never get to, you never get to be truly who you are. You never get to know people truly for who they are. And because of such, there can be no real intimacy. And at the end of that, you just feel more and more alone. Um, you feel like you don't know anyone. And then you ultimately feel like you're not known by anyone, which breeds isolation and loneliness. A lot of men um, can see community as a hindrance. You know, um, and just think about people who, who have done extreme things like David Goggins. Um, think about men who are at the top of their craft, like a Nick Saban, Alabama football coach. You know, I think about spiritual men. I think about A.W. Tozer, right, who loved God. But when he died, his wife, and I quote, I know that A.W. loved God, but I really wonder if he ever loved me. His wife said that because he spent so much time with God. <laughs> And basically neglected her. He's one of the greatest theologians ever. I think men who who like get to the top of whatever it is they're at, at some at some point they've expensed relationships and they've expensed community because they felt like that it would hold them back. Um, my guess is I don't know Nick Saban personally, but my guess is he doesn't have a lot of friends. Um, my guess is he spends a lot of time in the film room. Uh, he spends a lot of time thinking about that football team. Um, uh, and I only use him as an illustration because, because most would consider him at the top of his game. But, but I do know driven men. Um, uh, and these driven men um, typically are, are lonely men. You know, um, I was talking to a very, very successful man one time, and, and, and I said, hey, hey it's, it's pretty lonely at the top, isn't it? And he said, he said, absolutely, Chris, it's lonely at the top. But then he smiled and he said, but it's a bitch at the bottom. <laughs> and he said, I'd rather be alone at the top than at the bottom with people.
And I thought, man, that's super interesting. And I don't know if I'd say the same. I don't know if I'd say the same. Um, uh, and I also don't know if, if being in community and having close relationships means you have to stay at the bottom. Um, you know, I've, I've been pretty successful in life as, as far as the world is concerned. And I think I've been pretty successful as far as the kingdom is concerned. And I will tell you that any success I have today has come through relationships. It's come through the people that have come into my life and, and have helped prop me up, that have encouraged me, that have helped sustain me, that have given me a platform. Um, most of everything I've done in my life, I, um, if I went at it alone, it just created more problems than it did good. So the number one principle, when you think about Navy SEALs, um, one, it's, it's, it, it's no man left behind. So the whole premise is when, when they go into battle, um, they're bringing everyone one home. Uh, and I love our, our entire military kind of has that kind of has that culture. Um, I was I was recently with a Marine colonel uh, who oversees the POW project here in America. And and sometimes I can be critical of our country. So just learning this about our country encouraged me. But since World War II, we have about 70,000 soldiers um, that have not been accounted for. World War II, Vietnam, South Pacific, Operation Freedom. Um, our government employs teams of PhDs and um, scientists uh, who are literally out digging all over the world looking for the remains of our soldiers. And, and I was sitting having breakfast with, the, with the, the commander of this, and I said, man, how, how efficient is that? And, he said, we recover about 240, 260 soldiers a year on average. He said, we just, we just found a pelvic bone in, in, in Vietnam, and um, we were able to identify through DNA it was one of our soldiers. So we, we excavated the area. We were able to find a wedding ring and, and some other stuff like that. He said, Chris, it was amazing. I called his 50-year-old daughter who lived in Virginia, and I flew her over to, to receive her father's remains. And as she was going into the room, the room to receive her father's remains, um, she said, could I have a moment? Uh, this is the first time I will have ever met my father. My mother was pregnant when he deployed. And, and I'm in that meeting, I'm thinking, man, what, what other country like does that for their troops, for their soldiers? I, I, I bet there's not another country in the world. But that whole that whole mentality kind of kind of just undergirds the military, right? Like, like these are brothers. And these are our sisters, and we're not going to leave them behind. So um, naturally, that takes community. Um, if, if you're a lone wolf and running alone, you don't have to worry about anybody else. You don't have to worry about um, um, who you run over, right? This is what got Mark Driscoll in trouble. He said the bus is moving forward, and we're going to pile up bodies behind it. Well, well bro, that's problematic. Like, like you lead an organization that's built on community and one anotherness like like you can't pile up bodies in the back and be a church you know and and someone like should have told him that truth like just that clearly and and it's that idea man that that we're going forward and it doesn't matter who we hurt um um what did Goggins say like um f anything that gets in my way like i'm running through it yeah like Maybe the first few times, but that becomes problematic, bro. Like you hurt a lot of people and you hurt yourself in the end. And and so so I love the military concept that that if we're gonna finish BUDS, which is which is the basic Navy SEAL training, right? We're gonna have a battle buddy. Like we're gonna have somebody that goes through it with us, not because, not because they're necessarily gonna help us lift, but because at some point I'm gonna wanna quit. And I need somebody to look at me and say, no, bro, don't quit, right? And it's not a Rocky movie. It's not playing a VHS, a VHS tape. Like, it's a living, breathing person that's going to look at you and say, no, man, I'm going to want another this. I'm going to build you up, and I'm going to prop you up, right? The Navy SEALs are built on that, which is why, by the way, when you quit, like, you have to ring the bell. Why is that? Because you're letting everybody else know that you're quitting. Like, you don't get to do it in the dark. You don't get to go to your drill sergeant and say, hey, man, this was too much. I'm going to slip out. It's like, no, 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 bro. There are 15 other men you're accountable to. Go tell them, right? Think about that. Community breeds that type of accountability.
If you're a one-man show, if you're a one-man wrecking, killing machine, you don't have to be accountable to anyone, right? But that's soft. That's weak. You're only that because you're afraid. Why? Because accountability is hard. Accountability takes work. Accountability says, man, not only am I responsible for myself, but I'm responsible for this next guy, which I love that about the SEALs. You can quit. Go ring that bell and let everybody else know you've quit, right? Because you're accountable to these men. That's exactly what they're looking for. Because when you're in a firefight, you've got to know the guy to your left and the guy to your right has your back. And when you've gone through that type of training together, man, you know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I think we have an entire culture that uh, promotes if you want to change, you can you can change on your own, right? And it's just, I mean, it's a lie straight from the pit of hell, right? You cannot change in isolation, right? You can do behavior modification, and behavior modification is different, right? I can, I can modify my diet, right? Um, I can modify my actions. Um, I can even sometimes modify my attitudes, but I can't transform. I can't change, right? I can't, I can't alter um, um, whatever hurt and, and, and whatever pain is going inside without, without someone else. You know, I think about not even spiritually, psychologically, there's only, there, there's only four reasons um, why someone changes. Um, psychology teaches us this. So, so people change uh, when they hurt enough that they're open to. And that was basically David Goggins' story, right? Um, I'm 300 pounds. I'm overweight. I'm going to go run four miles. Um, I ran a quarter of a mile, walked home, and then I cried. Well, he's crying because he's ashamed of who he's become. He feels guilty. He feels embarrassed that he can't run a mile, right? Um, he's at rock bottom. Um, he's making $1,000 a month. He can't even afford rent. Um, I mean, he just feels worthless. He feels like he's nothing. So, so he hits this place, and I hear men all the time say this, you know, I've hit rock bottom. I'm, I'm open to change, right? That's the first reason people change. The second reason people change is when they, when they learn enough that they want to, that they want to, right? Um, they lack a definition. They lack a map. They lack a path or a plan. And someone comes along like a mentor or a guide and teaches them, hey, this is the better plan. This is the better path. Follow this, this path and we can get there, Right. So, so they learn enough that, that, they, you know, that they can. The third reason people change is that they see enough that they're inspired to change, right? And again, that's a little bit of Goggin's story, right? He saw the look on Apollo Creed's face. He was inspired by Rocky's ability to go, right? I love what Mike Tyson said. Mike Tyson said, you know, every man has a plan until he gets punched in the mouth, Right? Uh, the, the question isn't how hard you can hit. It's how hard can you get hit and still go forward, right? Like that's inspirational. Goggins was inspired. And then lastly, um, people change when they receive enough that they're able to, that someone's actually meeting a physical need. So, so taking a step back and looking at those four reasons why a man would change, what's the common denominator? It happens in community. You can't be inspired without someone inspiring you. Uh, you can't learn without someone teaching you. Um, you can't receive without someone giving to you, right? Like all of that happens in community. You don't do that apart or you don't do that as an individual. If you want to change by its very nature, you change in community. Yeah, yeah. So so, 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 so think about that, right? The, the two most Googled statements, questions, phrases, um, how do I stop looking at porn? Um, how do I make friends? Um, you know, I've got I've got two or three friends right now um, that have a porn addiction, and 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 they've tried everything. They've tried everything to stop looking at porn. Um, do you know how they've been able to overcome the battle? They simply gave me access to all their technological devices. When they started fighting the fighting community, they were able to to have victory. So I literally see everything they look at on their phone everything they look at on their iPad, everything they look at on their computer through, through a couple of different programs sends me screenshots anytime anything could be illicit, right? And I get to hold them accountable. And it's through that accountability. It's through one, like shame, right? Like they don't want others to know they're looking at it. 
But two, knowing that I know and I'm going to call them out, like it curbs their desire to look at it. Like, like it's literally, instead of behavior modification, it's bringing about transformation in their life, which is what they're after. And they only got that transformation once they, once they started fighting and battling in community with one another. To let someone in and letting someone into that space is, is, is super difficult, especially today when we don't even know what a friend is or what it means to be a friend, right? So um, there, there's a practice I've been doing now for a while um, uh, that I do annually, and, and I call it the friendship inventory. Um, knowing my capabilities, knowing my bandwidth, knowing my, my time limits, right? Uh, this idea that I'm a friend to everyone is ridiculous. This idea that I can have 10, 15, 20 best friends and I can be a best friend to 10, 15, 20 people is, is ridiculous, right? Um, so, so what I do every year is, is I create this friendship inventory. And I would, I would encourage every man to do this. And it, and it really gauges where you are and it helps you be a better friend. So um, it's super simple. I have three categories, right? Uh, and the first category is everyone. Um, everyone I encounter, everyone I meet, it's my goal just to be authentic. I just want to be who I am. I'm not going to change who I am because who's in the room. I'm not going to change who I am because um, of the place or, 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 or the position the person is in that I'm going to see. Now, if I'm going to see the White House, if I'm going to the White House to meet the president, you know, I'm probably going to try to be, be a little more respectful, <laughs> like, like, like I'm going to pay attention to things. But at the end of the day, I am who I am. And, and I want people to know me and to like me for who I am. So I'm not going to be pretentious. I'm not going to pretend, which, by the way, is most of what, what the Internet, social media, gaming promotes, right? Um, those things allow us to be who we're not, right? Which is, which is why, one, we lose, we lose concept of who our true self is, and we never let anyone know our true self, which becomes problematic. So, so the first level is everyone I meet, and I meet thousands of people a year. I meet tens of thousands of people a year. Everyone I meet, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to be Chris that has a little bit of a funny accent. Uh, sometimes I mispronounce words, um, um, but I'm real and I'm genuine and I'm authentic and I'm going to care about you and, uh, um, and I want you to know me. So authentic with everybody. The next level is, is I write out who I'm going to be vulnerable with because I want to be vulnerable with some. I think this is super important, right? Um, if you're vulnerable with everyone you meet, eventually people will take advantage of you because they're going to know your weaknesses. They're going to know your shortcomings. They're going to know your soft spots. And because people are people, um, there are some people out there that will exploit that. There are some people out there that will take advantage of that. So, so I want to be vulnerable with, with some. The other reason I don't want to be vulnerable with everybody is because you don't want to be that dude that's always wearing his mess on his sleeve, right? Every time you're in a crowd, every time you're in a conversation, you're just talking about, you know, all of your shortcomings, all your failures, how miserable life is. And eventually people just get tired of hearing that and you become that guy. Like you don't want to be that whiny guy that nobody wants to be around. So so I have this list. And, and for me, it's, it's, it's 10 or 12 people um, um, that I know, man, I can be vulnerable with these people because they're not going to take advantage of me and they're not, they're not going to not answer my call, right? <laughs> they're, they're, they're going to pick up when I call. Um, and then the third category for me is, is intimacy. Um, who can I be intimate with? And that's only two or three people, right? There's two or three people on my list that, that, that man, these are, these are who I would consider intimate friends that, um, that, that I'm doing life with, like I'm sharing life with victories and hurts and shortcomings. These are, these are, these are ride or die, right? Like, like, um, I'm talking fast and the furious type stuff, man, I'm for these guys and these guys are for me no matter what happens. Right. And, and the number one key there is, is there, they'll always tell me the truth. Like they just don't tell me what I want to hear. Like, like they tell me what I need to hear. And, and, and here's how I section that out. Right. Um, so, so authentic with everyone, there's no time constraint on that. 
the vulnerable with some, those 10 or 12 people on that list, there, there never goes one or two weeks that I don't talk to these people, that I'm not on the phone with them, that I'm not texting them, that I'm not seeing them in person. Because here's the reality. If it can go three, four, five, six weeks without you, without you actually reaching out or them reaching out to you, they're probably not in that vulnerable category. They just, they're in the authenticity category, right? You can still be friends with them and friendly, but, but you're not going to invest a lot of your energy and time because you only have so much energy and time. That intimate category, it's never more than 48 hours. It's never more than 48 hours that, that checking in, uh, texting, seeing them. Uh, and if it's going beyond 48 hours, right, if it gets into a week, two weeks, a month before I ever see them or hear from them, then the reality is they're probably not an intimate guy. They're probably a vulnerable guy, right? So, so just that framework allows me to slide people up and down. It allows me to move people out and move people in as different people come in and out of my life. And it gives me a great framework and a practice for me to both develop good friendships and be a good friend. Like I know the guys in that intimate circle, man, I'm, I'm texting and I'm calling and I'm checking and I'm asking hard questions. I know the guys in the vulnerable list, man, I know exactly how I need to respond. And then I get to be authentic with everybody. And, and people have asked me, man, Chris, like, that's, that's ingenious. Like, where did you come up with that? Like, that's awesome. Well, this, it was Jesus' life. <laughs> like, that's exactly where I got it, straight out of the New Testament. Jesus was authentic with everybody. Jesus was always Jesus, whether he was talking to rich young rulers or Pharisees or widows or, you know, adulterous women. He was just Jesus, right? And then he was vulnerable with 12 disciples, and guess what? One of them actually took advantage of him and sold him out. And then he was intimate with three. You know, when you read the New Testaments, he spends 70% of his time with James, John, and Peter. And anytime anything like big was happening, transfiguration, um, Garden of Gethsemane, he was always grabbing John's, James, and Peter and saying, hey, come with me, right? It was that intimate circle. So I figured if it was good enough for Jesus' life, it's good enough for my life, and it's good enough for your life. Uh, uh, and that's the framework I've been using for years now. A, a lot of men I meet, um, and this is this is a trend across culture, is um, uh, they're they're in this place where not only do they not know how to make friends, they just don't they don't have any friends. There's a there's a friendship void. It's 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 friendship poor. I'm I'm friend poor. Like like how do I even find friends? You know, some of it some of the answer is is super practical, right? So if you're living in isolation, right, if you're living at home, working from home, and then you're spending the majority of your time gaming or, or online, um, it's going to be hard for you to find friends, right? You need to, you need to physically put yourself in, in social situations. You need to put yourself in social circles. You know, an easy door to walk through there is the church, you know, um, um, as wayward as the Western church has become, most churches in the West still have an open door and they invite people in. Uh, and they'll welcome you into that community where you can start to meet new people and, um, and, and find friends and hopefully make friends. But, but a lot of it too has to do with affinity interest. Um, you know, we're, we're blessed to live in a time and a culture where um, there's a lot of affinity groups out there. So it's not that you have to go manufacture friendships or it's not that even you have to um, create new interest. Man, find what you're interested in and then find others who are interested in those things. Um, there's a reason why bowling leagues were so popular in the 70s and 80s. It's not that, it's not that everybody loved to bowl or that everybody was good at bowling. It's that everybody loved the community. So, so you joined a bowling team. Um, um, I, you know, I hate bowling. I, it's, it's one, I think it's a, a ridiculous sport. And two, like you have to stick your fingers in that ball and that's so nasty. Like I'm a germaphobe. I mean, imagine like the, the greasy chicken and Cheetos and, oh, it's just so nasty. But, but I've been a part of three bowling teams. Why? Because I love the community. Because I love to, uh, to get get with some guy friends on Tuesday nights and and and, and have a beer and, and and throw a ball down a wooden lane and hit wooden pins like like it's it's dumb but but we do it for the community right so so if you have an affinity interest um uh you know you know gravitate towards that
whether it's art or or sports or um, um, whatever it is, you don't you don't have to become a new person to make friends. That would that would be my my second encouragement, and then and then third would just man man be open. You know, I think I think so often we come with prejudice into re, into relationships, right? Um, some of the best friends I have today are guys that I didn't initially like, and it's people I didn't think I would like. And 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 what I what I come to realize is um, what I didn't like in them was the same thing I didn't like in myself, and and I didn't like them because I saw myself so much in them. And, and over time, and just having an open mind, um, they actually became some of my closest friends. They were they, they were most like me. So I think I think my encouragement would be if you any if you have any type of prejudice, if you have any type of um, uh, man, this is going to be stupid, or I'm not going to like that guy, or he's completely different than me, or whatever it is, um, man, give it time, give it time. And 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 that would be my fourth encouragement: like building friendships take time, you know. It's okay to quote unquote date friends. Like you don't have to jump into the deep end of the relational pool right away. As a matter of fact, you probably shouldn't uh, because you become that weird guy that just like opens up the second time you meet and throws your laundry out there and you wonder why everybody runs in the in, in, in the in the opposite direction, right? The inverse of that is you're the guy that never opens up. You never share anything. You're three years into a relationship and people still don't know anything about you. Like that's problematic too. So, so there's that healthy balance of, of as you're giving trust and earning trust, you're opening up more, you're going deeper and deeper. And what will happen over time is you'll begin to identify, oh, oh, that guy's an acquaintance. Yeah, that guy's somebody I can be vulnerable with. Oh, and that's, got, that's a guy I can be intimate with, right? And then, and then you let that just develop naturally. I think, I think a lot of people avoid friendships because um, – they honestly can't find time for it, right? Um, you know, their days are, are pre-programmed, um, whether that's just the, you know, monotony of a day or whether it's the super ambitious, right? They've got a goal, they have to achieve it. They don't necessarily have time for people. And and I think that's true. I think that's a real struggle. I think it's a real thing. My, my only question would be is, um, you know, who are you enjoying it with, right? Life is made to be, uh, life is designed to be enjoyed with others, right? Um, make a lot of money, right? Like, 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 make a lot of money, but but make a lot of money so that you can bless others, so that you can bring others along. I love, I love what Drake says, right? You know, uh, we at the top, and the whole team's here. Like, the whole team is here. Like, if, like, like, we got the private plane. But we got the plane, so we all can fly on the plane. Like, like, be be Drake, be that guy. Like, I'm not, I'm not telling you not to be super ambitious. I'm not telling you not to run hard after goals. Like, do those things, but do those things for the sake of others, um, um, for the benefit, for the benefit of others. Otherwise, you're going to self destruct. So, so for the guy that says, "Man, I, I, I don't have time to make any friends," or 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 if if I spend times on cultivating relationships, like I'm going to lose the passion and drive. I've I've found the opposite. Like, like I'm driven because of my friends. Like, like, like my friends help promote the drive. And I also know like the more I succeed, like the more they're gonna succeed because I'm bringing those cats with me. Um, uh, like we made it here, like, like we're here and the whole team is here. We're bringing everybody with us. And, and I have actually found that, that cultivating friendships and relationships has given me more drive. It's making me more ambitious. It's making me more successful because um, I'm doing it for the good of the whole and not just for me. If you have to choose between between technology and reality, no matter how real that technology is, um, reality wins every time. Uh, there, there, there's no doubt you can be motivated by a YouTube video like like I'm hoping you're watching this right now and 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 motivated. It is 10 times more powerful if I was sitting right next to you and telling you this. Um uh if I was in the cab of the truck with you. If I was on the 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 bench at the game with you. Like there's just something about that human connection and that human interaction. It hits different. You hear it different. It feels different. So, uh don't throw the baby out with the bathwater like like watch the videos. 
listen to this podcast, do those things, but but do it in balance with 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 human connection. You you need that, right? And and because there's there's things that that on camera I can't do for you, right? I I, I tell men all the time, along with that relational inventory, there are three types of men that you need in your life. Right. So if that relational inventory is for you and helping you become a better friend, um, uh, these are the three types of people in your life that are going to that are going to grow you. Right. Um, and you need to have a balance of this. So so the first type of person you need in your life is what I call um, your ride or die. Like those are those intimate friends that if they ever have to choose between the mission and the man, they're always going to choose the man because they're for the man. Like even when you're wrong, they're for you. I mean, they're, they're going to tell you later, hey, bro, I think you were wrong on that. Like like you were an ass. You shouldn't have done that. Like they're, they're, they're going to have enough relational capital to say that. But like in the moment, they're for you. Like we all need ride or dies, best friends, right? One or two of them, right? You're probably not going to have more than four or five. Uh, but we need at least one, that ride or die that's for me. The second type of people we need are, are what I call partners. These are people that are for you and people that are love you. Uh, but they, at the end of the day, the mission is more important than the man. And like if the man gets in the way of the mission, like they're going to choose the mission because the mission's got to go, right? Uh, uh, and those are your partners. And then thirdly, you need mentors. And those are people who, who love the man because they know when the man's at his best, the mission's at its best. Like, like, like the greater the man is, the better the mission is. Um, so those mentors are going to spur you on and encourage you. And, and here's, what, here's what happens with a lot of men, especially successful men. We get too many ride or dies in our life, and they only tell us what we want to hear. They're yes men, right? So there's no, there's no emotional, physical, spiritual, social growth because, because they're just feeding us whatever, whatever we need to feed our egos, right? The opposite true, too, is, is the man that has too many partners. And I've been in this situation a lot. I've been in a situation where I had a lot of partners and I didn't have a lot of ride or dies. And because I have too many partners, I'm always looking over my back to see who's, who's going to put the knife in. Like, who's gunning for my position? Like, who needs me out of the way, right? Um, um, I have too many partners, and, and I'm just wondering, man, when are they going to be done with me and to bring in the next guy to make the mission go to the next, you know, the next five miles, right? Uh, and if you have too many partners, you're always looking over your back. So, so as, as an individual, if I, when I'm growing most socially, emotionally, physically, professionally, I have the right balance of ride or dies. I have the right balance of partners. And then I always, always, you can't have enough mentors. I always have at least two or three mentors that are that are speaking wisdom and truth in my life, um, helping me be a better man. Um, uh, and that's a that's another inventory in my life that that again I would encourage every man, like like make sure you have a good balance between your ride or dies, your partners, your mentors, uh, to be successful. So often what happens is, um, you know, we all want those things, whether we whether we admit it or not. Like, like we, we crave companionship. We crave friendship. Again, because we were designed for it. We were literally built for friendship and companionship. So, so we all want it, um, you know, openly or secretly. Uh, the problem is we don't all want to give it uh, because of the hard work. Because of the work and the intensity and the intimacy it takes to be a real friend, um, most of us are what I call friendship lazy. Um, um, we want it. Uh, we want it without having to do the work, right? And it's just not possible. Um, it's impossible to know someone um, uh, without you yourself being known, right? Without being willing to open up, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to be exposed, and then vice versa. Um, People got to know that they can open up, that they can be exposed, that they can be vulnerable without you judging them and without you uh, criticizing them, right? Uh, and that, again, that's that's emotionally, physically, spiritually. It's just taxing. It's it, it's so much work that that we don't want to do it. We shy away from it, um, which is why this this idea 
um, that you can be a good friend to a lot of people and in return have a lot of good friends is just silly. It's a ridiculous. No one has that amount of emotional capital. No one has that type of, of, of bandwidth to be a true friend to 10, 15, 30 people. It's impossible. Uh, but if you can do that to two, three, five, man, like, like if you can leave this world with three to five ride or dies, like you've done something. You've done something with your life. So I get asked by a lot of, a lot of men, like, um, where does my wife fit in this, right? And it's interesting. You know, I hear men all the time say, my wife's my best friend. And, and this is going to be a hot take, but I don't think that's healthy. Like, I don't think it's healthy that, that your wife is your best friend. Um, you know, I think your wife is your companion. I think your wife is your helpmate. I think your wife is your muse. Like, she is inspiration and she's an encouragement. Um, I think your wife is your partner. Uh, the Bible describes her as your co-heir in the graces of Christ, right? Your companion, um, your compliment, not comp, not not compliment in that I'm going to give you a compliment, but your compliment, like she's the other half of you, right? As a matter of fact, uh, when you take on a wife, the Bible says literally two flesh become one. There's a oneness there, right? Which is a whole level, another level of intimacy. It's a different level of intimacy because now anything that you do against your wife, you're actually doing to yourself, which is why the Bible describes adultery as being so bad. You didn't actually cheat on your wife. You cheated against your own flesh. You deceived yourself. You broke yourself, which is, which is, which is a different level of intimacy. It's a different type of community, right? Whereas friendship, you know, male friendships, it's, um, you know, you want a David and Jonathan type bond. Like this man is of the same spirit, cut of the same cloth, um, of the same nature as me. And it's a different type of love. It's a different type of intimacy. It's a different type of companionship. And you should have both. Um, I meet a lot of men that don't. I, lead, I meet a lot of men that um, their wife is their best friend. And, and unfortunately, they end up taking on the characteristics and traits of their wife that they look more like their wife than they do like a man, <laughs> right? And you can tell. I can tell when men walk into the room, oh, oh, his wife's his best friend, right? Um, uh, like, like, like you can point that out. And again, um, it's not that she's not your companion and your co-heir and your compliment. Like she's all those things. But, but as a man, it's not healthy when your wife is your best friend. You actually need a best friend that should be a man. Um, um, that you can tell things to that you might not necessarily be able to say to your wife and her understand the way a man is going to understand it, right? You need that outlet. You need that experience. You need that person in your life to be full, to be healthy, to be the man God's called you to be. Being a, being a friend to someone, I think, is one of the most, um, it can be the scariest, weightiest things that, that, that you experience. Because, I mean, think about what you're doing. You're, you're going to someone and you're saying, hey, listen, no matter what happens, I'm for you. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can tell me that's going to take me by surprise. Um, I'm, you know, I'm here for you uh, uh, and I love you no matter what. And then, and then hearing that in return, someone saying to you, listen, there's nothing you can say or do that's going to surprise me that I want you to know I'm here for you like, like, like I love you. So on, on one hand, the weight of being that person for someone is, is heavy. But on the other hand, the freedom of knowing you have that person in your corner, oh, my gosh, helps you bear the weight. You know, I've got, I've got someone in my life that has, been, that has been intimately with me for the last, last 10 or 15 years. And, and I, I'll, I'll write him often. And I'll tell him, you have no idea, just knowing you're in my corner, how much courage and how much ability that gives me. Uh, it's, almost, it's almost the freedom to fail, knowing that this guy back here is not going to judge me, uh, that when I do fall, he's going to pick me up. 
He's going to dust me off and he's going to say, hey, bro, let's run at that thing together, right? Uh, it's amazing having that in my corner, the freedom I have to, to achieve, to succeed, uh, to try new things, to run in different directions because, because I've got that ride or die back there. And then being that ride or die for somebody, knowing that I'm giving men that freedom, hey, bro, go after that thing. But what if I fail? It's cool, man. We'll go after something else, but go after that thing right now. Like I'm with you and I'm for you. Man, just being able to give people that freedom as I receive that freedom, it's one of the greatest gifts in the world, but, but it's also one of the heaviest things. Man, to, to, to bring this into summation and to bring this to close, you know, I'm speaking from the seat of the mentor right now. Like if you're under the sound of my voice, you know, I'm, I'm probably not your ride or die. Um, I'm probably not, not a partner. Um, you know, I've been a little vulnerable with y'all today, and, and, uh, but we're probably not going to be vulnerable long term. So, so I just want to speak from the seat of a mentor, and I want to tell you, like, you don't have to go at this alone. You shouldn't go at this alone. If you're going to grow and become the man um, that you're destined to be, you will only achieve that destiny through community. It's only through community with others. I know it's scary. I know it's hard work, right? It's a selfless life to give yourself away. But my encouragement to you is, um, man, be the friend um, um, you want others to be to you. Like, like go and be that friend. Um, um, get out there, begin to make friends, begin to forge relationships, trust the natural process of, of uh, human activity and 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 imagination and, and experience and, and let those friendships develop, foster those, um, uh, find people you can be vulnerable with, um, find people you can be intimate with, do the hard work of making friends and being a friend, because if you do, I promise you, your life will be much, much fuller and richer in the end.